So welcome everybody to this week's Learning the Tropes. I'm Erin. I'm Clayton. I'm your romance novel veteran. And I'm the Virgin. And we're your hosts. Um, and guys, we have a very special episode for you today. Um, we are interviewing um, Sophia Benoit, who is uh, the writer of um, a new book called Well, This is Exhausting, a book of essays that is out July 13th. Um, Sophia has written for The Guardian, Allure, Refinery29, Reductress, Mr. Porter, and The Cut. She is a regular sex and relationship columnist for GQ. She also writes on an advice newsletter called Here's the Thing, which you can subscribe to now, and you can also ask a question. Um, and her book is currently available for pre-order. Again, that is, uh, it's called Well, This is Exhausting, and it'll be out in about two weeks or so. Um, but most importantly to us, uh, Sophia is a lifelong romance novel fan. So thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Also, thank you for that amazing selling of my book. I need to like hire you to do that again. You did it so smoothly. I feel like I always am forgetting things. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, I was reading it to be fair. No, but... <laughs> I know, but you did a great job. I'm usually like, I don't know what I'm, I can't remember my, my words. So that was fabulous. Thank you. Oh yeah, of course. Um, so yeah, to start, you know, you mentioned sort of as we were getting ready, you've been reading romance since you were, since you were 12. Do you remember what the first book that really like hooked you in was? So I stole all my sister's books, which I'm sure is like a common story, either it's your mom or your sister. Um, and I think it started with library books because you didn't have to really get permission to, to get those, unlike buying a book. So my sister would have these like kind of more like, chiclety not as much like full steam romance novel books um so I remember a couple early on that were like there was one called I think like first time around or second time around and time was spelled like a spice and it was like (laughs) like of course it was um and it was like a chef getting back together with her ex or something for a tv show um and I remember that book very clearly from my perspective now I'm probably getting like a lot of it wrong now that I like if I were to pick it up now I probably wouldn't remember much of it but that was kind of the beginning and then I remember her finally getting into like romance romance with um Mary Bella I feel like that was the first person where I remember her having like specific sets of books and her trying to get me to read Mary Bella and I can't remember which series it was but that was when I really got introduced was that was probably more when I was like 13 or 14 after I'd been stealing her books for a while. I love that idea of like stealing books too and stealing books about like a second time around chef and you're 12 and like, I know, right? Who was like, what's an occupation? What's the second time around? You haven't been the first time around. Uh, and Mary Bela is such a great first romance too, because she's like, she's not closed door though. She's not totally, but I think there's, like, usually one, maybe one sex scene in a book, and it's, like, it's not spicy. It's great. Mm -hmm. There's so much tension, but it's not, like, they're ripping each other's clothes off. It's, like, they're politely holding a hand. Like, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, that was, like, a good introduction. And to me, as a 14-year-old, like, virgin kid, also, like, overweight, very nerdy, like, had not talked to a boy in my entire life, I was like, this is too much to handle. Yeah, it's nice to be eased into it uh, as, <laughs> as a, you know, a, a virgin, uh, somebody who was a virgin pretty recently, a few years ago. I, I feel like <laughs> it is important what your first book is. And, you know, if you're older, then you can jump more into the deep end. But especially if you're younger, you do need that kind of, like, easing into this kind of situation. Yes, yeah. a soft landing. Also, I feel like you don't know what you like yet when you're younger. Like, there's now things where I, like, if I see it in a romance novel, I just don't read that. And it's not even, like, it's not, like, inappropriate things or, like, harming characters. There's just, like, certain tropes, literally tropes, that I don't, like, enjoy as much. There's one. Thank you for using that term. (laughs) There's your, there's your. (laughs) That's the drinking game. Yeah. Oh, okay, Um, good. (laughs) What is, well, like, what are some of your your no-go tropes? This is one that is probably inappropriate of me, but I don't really like books where there's, where one of the characters has a kid, because I feel like I always don't believe that you're, like, ready to, I don't know how inappropriate I can be here, but 
I don't believe you're ready to suck and fuck when you've got somebody like in the next room crying. Absolutely. I just right. don't. And and I know parents do have good hot sex, but it's just like I also feel like the authors are always like trying to weave the kids back into the story and I'm like, I don't care. I don't care. Like no. I, That's just yeah. I think we're firmly in that same camp. I I don't want to speak for you, Aaron, but I think we are anti kid in romance books. Just just because it like you said, there's there's really no way to integrate them in a way that uh, we we want in a narrative, especially a romance narrative, because you said like people want to get busy. Also, yeah. like I don't like fantasize in general, and I'm not like oh, and then he has to go check on his kids. Like I in <laughs> in like in any kind of like erotic scenario on any level, I'm not like I hope the person also has dependents, you know, <laughs> like. That's not... I hope they remember to sign the field trip form, or that's really going to mess up the kid's <laughs> exactly. day. I do hope that right off camera, there is a diaper genie that stinks. <laughs> yes, that would be so hot, you know? And I think there's people who like them, so good for them. Like, And occasionally I'll like make an exception if I love an author, and I'm like, okay, we have to get through this one. But I'm always kind of like, meh. Yeah. I think the thing that always, like, is frustrating with me whenever a kid shows up is, like, and this is not to knock romance authors, because obviously I'm in love with each and every one of them, but, like, I feel like it's hard for them to get the tone of, like, what an actual six-year-old will, like, say and do and be interested in, like, how precocious they'll be, which is, like, not that much. And I always get really stuck on, like, developmentally, is this where the kid would be or or not? Totally. Yeah. I agree. And I also think it's really hard in historical stuff because I feel like it's it's possible to kind of know what a six-year-old is now if you maybe have one or, or around them a lot. But I have no idea what a six-year-old was talking like in 1812. Like, do any of us? Were kids getting, like, interviewed back then? I mean, you know, I just, I mean, obviously you can do research, but I just think it's really hard, like you said, to get that, like, tone across well. Yeah. I always say uh, Kate Claiborne on Twitter a few weeks ago, or what's time? At some point, she had (laughs) said um, that every romance lover has, like, a trope that they won't read, but then, like, a top five books with that trope. (laughs) Just, like, like, as we were talking, it's like, no, I don't like kids, but also, like, where when dreams begin is my favorite Lisa Claypass, which, like, heavily features a child. So I'm like, see, I don't really, (laughs) I don't hold on to anything. There's definitely, like, other things that are also less of interest for some reason. Like, I read a lot more historical romance than contemporary romance. And I feel like I am less drawn to, like, pirates and gambling dens and things like that. To be honest, even though this is probably wrong of me or, like, I'm just like, let's make everyone a duke. Who are we kidding? Like, let's, (laughs) let's, come on. I want balls and not balls, but dances. Well, and, I mean, and balls. balls. So you can balls, be, you can balls, honest. Like yeah, I like, I want balls you as well. You won't say no. We do want balls and also balls. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I just feel like sometimes with, there's like books that turn into more of an action book and I'm, I can't follow that necessarily. Like I don't, follow directions well in books <laughs> I, feel like. I feel like you're uh in we're we're really hitting the same notes all here because i think you're i i don't know if you you think the same way but like occupations in books right the reason yeah the reason why i i'm not as big of a fan of contemporaries is because it's always going to be oh they've got to land this this you know client for their marketing and i'm just i don't care i want the two people together bouncing off each other and there's there's books that can do that well uh, like the mm-hmm. hating game, for example, I really liked, and that's that was, and that's about corporate. That was stuff. what I was just gonna bring up. Yeah, that was literally the, that's my exception because I am not a contemporary person, and I think part of the the reason why you hit exactly the nail on the head, which was the stakes aren't high enough in contemporary romance for me. Like the the only barriers that are around for the most part in contemporary romance are like we don't like each other, which is fine, but like once you do like each other, then like okay, go sleep with each other. And see if it works. So, like, there's not, like, there's not usually good stakes. And there's been, like, a couple interesting, more contemporary stuff that's getting into less, like, two rich white people meeting, you know? So it will be, like, either interracial or class-based differences or, uh, like, neurodivergence and stuff like that that actually has some stakes to it that aren't just, like, we are on opposite teams of the proposal, you know? Um, So, or, like, 
it's my brother's ex-best friend or something. You know, like, there's just, like, it doesn't work. Meanwhile, in historical stuff, you're like, those two can't get married. She is a maid. Like, that is not <laughs> going to happen. Exactly, yeah. You know? And they get, and, and since they have, like, a lot more time, I think, in historicals to hang out with each other and bounce off each other because they're not, you know, they, they don't have those modern things that they have to deal with. There's no cell phones, so they have to be face to face when they have their interactions. So yeah, it's. I think we're in the historical bag as well. Yeah, and I also feel like there's other like a couple of the other contemporary ones I like are like there's some really cool queer romance novels that are contemporary because those often around like sports too, where you like can't come out or one person feels like they can't come out. Those again, like there's like ways to raise the stakes and tropes that raise the stakes, but like. That's what I need, you know? Like, I need to believe these two people cannot get together before I am, like, in. Which is probably sick of me, but that's no. okay. No. I think the only contemporary, the only thing other than that, for me, that would be realistic is if the two people live in New York and they live in separate boroughs. I think that's the most <laughs> realistic. So, like, if, uh, if you try to date somebody that lives in Queens and you live in Brooklyn, now that's a conflict. <laughs> that's my thought. No, they're... Yes. That's like LA and the West Side. I would not date someone on the West Side. Exactly. There you go. That's a book. I would not. <laughs> there needs to be a Romeo and Juliet retelling of just geography based. Like very close, but a lot of traffic or undesirable subway lines. Yes. <laughs> like it's so, you love them so much, but they just live on a, like two hours away from you essentially because of the commute. Or just, like, two people with, like, great rent-controlled apartments and, like, who yes. will get theirs up? It, it would be oh, wow. uh, uh, a Manhattan-based one called Above 34th Street. And it would just be somebody <laughs> having to date who bl- bl- lives below having to date somebody above. I don't know any of the subway lines of New York at all because I'm from Missouri and couldn't be more from Missouri. But I just imagined it, call- like, called, like, F-Line. And then that's just, like, the whole title of the book you know that's also on the f yes that's perfect that's a great and then it could be a whole series of books where all the romances take place on different lines oh that's nice okay some new york author get on this here we go we (laughs) just gave you i know we're really pitching gold right here so anyone wants to pick it up go we're only gonna take we've given you a title i guess there's three (laughs) of us so we'll be three-fourths of it and then they can have the what's left over that's 20 yeah, 25%. Better than nothing. Yeah. That's great. Your whole book that you wrote. But we gave you the idea for. That's what's most um, important is the ideas, not the follow through. <laughs> Any good writer knows that. Yeah. What is? What are your favorite tropes then? What are the ones that you read it and you're like, like, yeah, we're going toward this book? I I love a... I love either hero or heroine um, that has like some kind of disability or disfigurement or something that they don't necessarily believe allows them to do things and then I really like it when it's not like exploitative like and then they find love and they're fine with it you know like I like that's old but I I like um I love obviously like forced proximity of like a shared bed of course that's a lovely trope um I do like mismatched couples where it's like a very grouchy person or like a misanthrope with like a very sunshiny person. Um, I'm trying to think is there was like a, a couple years ago or maybe again, what is time? Was it this year? <laughs> Who knows? There was like, I think it was like source books or somebody did a, a trope bracket and my friend and I would like text each other every single morning and be like vote on the trope bracket. And we were so <laughs> aggressive about it and we were so disappointed in certain things that like won or or lost but um enemies to lovers always like I don't know anyone who doesn't like well I guess there are probably people who don't like that but they're wrong (laughs) like that's just (laughs) that's a classic um what won the trope bracket do you remember I feel like it was something so ridiculous I think it was something like on the level of like height difference which isn't oh. even like a trope and I don't feel like it's like that hot I felt like I I'm gonna have to like text my friend and be like what won that trope bracket and why were we so upset because we were upset we were not <laughs> we were... I would be upset at height difference winning that's bs right yeah there's so I can't remember ones. 
What is the romance that you have reread the most? If there is, are you a rereader? I guess is the better first question. Okay, so I am not a rereader, but I I do have a couple things I have reread, and the first one that is, I guess it's not technically a romance novel. Again, this kind of gets into like chiclety a little bit, but um, I remember growing up, I had divorced parents, and at my dad's house, there were very few books of ours that were not like kids' books. Or there were tons of books of his that were like, here's a philosophy book. <laughs> like, I'm not going to read that. But there was a May Cabot book that was like an adult romance. And I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. But I remember rereading and rereading this May Cabot romance novel again and again and again. I think I know every word of that book. <laughs> because it was the only book in my dad's house. And then currently, as like a real romance, I have reread a, almost all of Cat Sebastian's books. Because they're so good, especially the first two series that she did, like The Soldier and the Scoundrel and um, The Lawrence Brown Affair. Those I have reread so many times, and I try to get everyone to read them, and I'm a little aggressive about it. And those are like, I come back to them. And otherwise, I do not reread anything, because I always think I'm forgetting stuff, and then I get into it, and I'm like, I remember this. I know, I know what happens. (laughs) So that's, so you're reading romance, so like what is the, I don't know, I'm trying to think of how to like phrase this question, but it's like what is the the thing that you're trying to get from a romance novel? Because I'm like definitely, I'm not a rereader in that I don't reread the entire novel, but I'll definitely go back to little, to get little like hits of emotion from certain scenes, I guess is a way to say it. But are you just like the conclusion or sort of like what what keeps you going because I listened to your um Faded Mates episode we're big fans of Faded Mates on this podcast and um you talked about um that you had read like something like 40 some odd books so far this year which is probably more at this stage yeah so I've well I so I am addicted to the first like three-fourths of every romance novel (laughs) like once I feel like I know they're going to be together, I almost lose interest, which is depressing because I know that that's what's coming. I mean, it's not like I don't know they're going to end up together. That's like a prerequisite of the romance genre. But I love the like build up to stuff. So I and I think I even talked about this a little bit on Faded Mates. But my sister and I were talking to her husband because she's also a huge romance fan. Again, we I've stolen her books since forever. Um, and he was kind of jokingly talking about, like, rereading the sex scenes. And both of us were like, oh, I don't really care about the sex scenes that much. And he was like, well, why are you reading these books? And we were like, that's not the point. The point is not necessarily, like, and then they had sex. It's like, they might have sex. That is the point. Like, these two people could someday have (laughs) sex. Like, that's mind-boggling, you know? You gotta... That's what I come for. So I feel like I, I... I am like always try to savor the beginning of romance novels. And then at the end, I'm like, okay, yeah, cool. They're together. I feel happy for them. Good, good job. And then I want my next one immediately. (laughs) I go through them pretty quickly. (laughs) So you're not reading any prologues. You're like, no, it's fine. They're together. Who cares? Yeah. I don't like once, I mean, like I read after like, oh, okay. Now they have a baby, whatever. Like, sure. I read that because we got to make sure they're okay. You know, I got to make sure that, that everything happens. Sometimes they'll, like, name their kid a dumb name, and I'm like, I can't believe that this happened to me specifically, the real protagonist. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I, once they're together, I'm like, okay, cool, I'm out. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah, and I think, I think people put a lot of, because when I, when I tell people I read romance, the assumption is that it is for the sex, right? That I'm reading it because yeah. it's dirty, quote-unquote dirty. And it's really the reason I started reading romance and wanted to read romance is for the for the love, for that forming of that relationship, right? Like you said, where, oh, here's two people that could, if things work out, have sex. But like more than just sex, they're communing. They're like really having a moment together that's important. And like the sex scenes in books should always push the narrative forward and push the characters forward. Those are always the best sex scenes. And if you read a book and that's not there it is pretty skippable. Even if you really like the characters, if you're not getting that push forward with that intimacy, for me, I, it, I just, it loses me. So uh, there's sometimes I'll just, I'll skip the sex because I'll be like, I just want to, no, I just want to know how they're going to react to this situation. I, I know they had sex. It's fine. It's fine. But I do get disappointed yes. when things are closed door also. So I guess I'm just a hypocrite. 
I agree with you completely. I agree. I, I did, I was thinking about this recently and I read a book that, I read a couple books in a row where the author only had one sex scene and it was towards the end. And I was like, kind of upset about it. And then I was thinking about this exact thing where I was like, Sophia, you have been the, you're the person who sometimes skips sex scenes. So like, how are you, why are you complaining about this? (laughs) Like, I don't know. I also think a lot of authors don't write uh, dialogue into their sex scenes or like dirty talk into their sex scenes. And I think that helps it read much more like a scene between two characters rather than like, and then a penis went inside a vagina. Like, I don't, I mean, like, that's nice again, good for the characters. But like, I feel like, again, like you said, there has to be some kind of character building or connecting that's beyond just like, for me, there has to be some more than beyond just like this is a hot sex scene cool those are great too like again i do often read them and enjoy them but i definitely prefer the like build up to it yeah well i think sex too if you were just looking at sex like clinically it's like kind of gross and i think it's like (laughs) what adds to it and the reason we all do it is like there's the emotional component of it involved as well because that's the thing because people have been like will you like you know and i like some pretty steamy books and so people are like, oh, just read erotica. And then anytime I've read erotica, I'm just like, and this isn't a knock to erotica writers. This is just, it's not for me. It, they, it just reads so dull to me where it's just like, and then, and then we had sex again. And then we had sex. And then it's just, yes. there isn't that like, lo- like, honestly, I would just take like a longing, touching of hands, looking at each other across the room, like a book of that before it would just be like a book of pure fucking, you know? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Well, we just read uh, The Flatmates recently. I don't know if you read that that book. Is that where they're like sharing a house? The flat share. Yeah. Oh, flat share. I'm so sorry. Yes. 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 I read that one. I liked that one. And so that was Closed Door. And I was bummed about that because uh, there was that scene, if you remember, where they, they see each other naked. That was so erotic that I was like, that scene is better than a sex scene. But then when we were robbed of the consummation of those feelings of th- that they had for each other and that, that quick glimpse they got to see of each other that would have sparked into something else, I felt let down because I was like, I felt a little bit teased. Now, it didn't ruin the book for me, but I, I was happy with that little spark of eroticism, but I wanted like a little bit more, but not anything like, you know, scandalizing because I, when I, anytime we've read erotica, I've like... I'm like clutching my pearls. He gets upset. I I get scandalized. <laughs> I don't know if it's like I went to Catholic school for for like eight years. That's it. <laughs> I mean, okay, so there we go. That's it. That's well, it. you're the advice giver, sure so you it. know that's 100. No, no, itself. no, I'm sure. I mean, I'm from St. Louis. Everyone's Catholic. My whole family's Catholic. I'm sure that that's probably so. It. There's no dot 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 there. <laughs> I also feel like that's another knock against uh, contemporary romance is that so much of it these days is like closed door or semi-closed door where I feel like the historical stuff I mean it's either like very like you could find this book in an Airbnb and not be scandalized kind of book or it's like a straight up erotica just like kink and like often BDSM and those things are great and they have their place and that's like fabulous but I don't think there's that many people doing a good job of or I shouldn't say that because I don't explore it enough, but I haven't read that many, uh, like, middle-of-the-line contemporary romances where you're getting both romance and hot sex scenes that you see and that are, like, fulfilling, which I think historical kind of does a pretty standardly. Standardly sounded like a weird word, but it's a real word. <laughs> Was the hating game closed door? Because now I can't remember. Kind of, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think it was pretty tame because there's not yeah I don't think there's a because I think the only like reveal is that his wall like she goes in his bedroom and sees the walls but I don't think he's like you see and they're just like walls it's not like there's like there's like a wall color thing that's a nod to an earlier moment in the book yeah it was a color she really liked or something or she mentioned it right yeah she like she loved a shirt that he wore I was trying to not to I don't know if I could spoil it but I think it's like she wears he wears a shirt that she really likes and then it's the same color as her eyes or something maybe oh yeah it's eye color related <laughs> definitely 
It yeah. always is, which I've never noticed anyone's eye color, so I always find that hilarious in romance novels. Like, there's four people on the planet whose eye color I know, and it's, like, Elizabeth Taylor and Paul Newman and Frank Sinatra, because that was, like... Because they're the... famous for it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's it. And, and I've... And I, and I... I God, I was on some YouTube, like, wormhole, and it was some... Oh, okay, I... I... I guess I'm going to admit this because I'll probably even cut it out because it's probably embarrassing to even say, but there was a, there was a a picture of um, Zac Efron that was like passed around where everybody was saying he got plastic surgery. Do you guys? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. And I was somehow invested in wondering if this was true or not. So I went on this YouTube video where this woman who claimed to be like an expert was talking about his like face and whether he got plastic surgery. I feel like a ghoul saying this because it's like people's looks are not the most important thing about them. I want everybody to know, but it was a very low moment in my life. I'm not proud of it. Um, but anyway, <laughs> what I'm getting to is that she said something that was very interesting is that eye color really doesn't matter. It's the shape of the eye that people are drawn to. And the eye color is a bonus. And I, and, and yeah. it's pretty much what you said because there's so many people that we look at that we're attracted to and, eye color really has nothing to do with it but it could be an eye shape instead and then if they do have a striking color then it is an addition as opposed to being the one thing so i just think it comes up so often in romance novels and i never talk to my friends and like oh what does he look like and they're like oh he has brown eyes i'm like like that never happens i don't think deal breaker you're like oh like everybody but i think I think the eye color ends up being like a shorthand for like a really looking intensely at somebody because I think that's like kind of romance novels, especially for, you know, as people talk about the female gaze and everything and what that means. And I think that it has a lot to do with like being seen. And so if you're close enough to somebody and remember their eye color, it means like you are really paying attention to this person at a level that is like not normal as like I'm sitting here trying to remember my husband's exact eye color like I know right? the range yeah I'm like it's like a bluey greeny right side. though like yeah that's what I always think because I I mean I've thought that before where I'm like I don't know that I could like bring to mind my parents eye colors or like uh, like I I do know my boyfriend has brown eyes but I can't like I'm not like thinking of but I do I mean I totally agree with you on the shorthand I think it is really like a shorthand thing and it's very difficult to actually describe via the written word what we do see about people like that's almost impossible you can't like do a whole page being like here's their eye shape even if that is what we're perceiving you know so I get it but it's also like often like a corny thing where they'll be like and then he wore something the exact shade of her eyes or something and you're like okay well why do you have that in your closet what <laughs> there was I did love that book too but there's an element of like if he was a different kind of guy this would be a a terrifying thriller you know yes <laughs> yes the level of detail that he had but yeah as you were talking about like contemporaries with good sex the only one I can really think of is the kiss quote the kiss quotient by Helen Huang that, that had a I lot loved of sex. but that was I about sex too but yeah what about taking the heat oh Victoria Dahl yeah taking the heat did you Cunnilingus Gabe. Cunnilingus Gabe. You might want to put it on the list. That was... Cunnilingus Gabe? I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued by anything. By the way, if anyone wants me to click on anything and give them my credit card information, sell it as Cunnilingus Gabe. (laughs) It's by Victoria Dahl. It's a contemporary. She has moved back to, like, Montana or South Dakota. I don't know, some western state. And he lives in the town and she's an advice columnist as she's trying to get her life back together, but also is secretly a virgin. And she meets this really hot guy who rock climbs, who's really into getting And he's a librarian. And he's a librarian. Oh, that common trifecta of loving rocks, books, and cunnilingus. Good for cunnilingus Gabe. Wow. He's an all-star. I'm really excited that we introduced you to him because... I can't wait. It's if other people have good recommendations for hot contemporary stuff, great. Send them my yeah, way. Yeah, we'll forward you because our fans are amazing. And anytime we mention any small trope that we would have to comb for hours online to find, they they are sending us like three or four books with this exact trope. 
It's amazing. They're, it's they're amazing. amazing. I have the romance like world. The only thing that I think comes close to it, which is like kind of funny, the dichotomy is how kind men are to one another in the porn comments. They'll be like, who is this? And the person will be like, it's this woman. And here's five of her more videos. <laughs> like they're so helpful <laughs> towards one another. And like the camaraderie that they have is beautiful. And to another level, like the romance novel readers, I'm in like a couple groups on Facebook, I think. And also I've just seen that from romance writers online. They'll be like, hey, does someone have a book that has this trope that's this level of steamy and is set in like this state? And someone will be like, here are three. Like, how? How does everyone know this stuff? It's great. It's fabulous. I think there is a level of, for romance, at least for me, I can't speak for everybody, but there is a level of being vulnerable that you have to admit to vulnerability to really enjoy romances because you have to get into what you actually like and it might not mm-hmm. be what you thought you liked and you having to open yourself to emotions and things and experience that that could be scary for you right because you know sexuality is is vast and it's one of those things that a lot of people don't explore and when you open yourself up to romance or in some ways pornography depending on what it is it can really start you questioning things and really get deeper inside yourself. So it is interesting that they're very similar. It's like they're both times where people can be, I think, more vulnerable than they would be in normal life. Yeah, and I I mean, like, a couple things came to mind as you said this. I mean, I think there's a huge reason why Kindles and things like that are so huge for romance readers is because people don't want to be on a subway reading a romance novel. And I myself had a whole bookshelf of like paperback romance novels that I would hide in college. And and I also lived in a house with guys. So I was like, I don't want this to be a discussion. But for Mm -hmm. years, I hid them behind my other books. And then I like that became a habit of mine is like, I would just hide them on the bookshelf behind the other books. And then I moved in with my boyfriend. He was like, why would you put them behind the other books? Like, what if you have friends over that are are big romance fans, and they want to ask you questions or borrow one or talk about it or whatever. And I was kind of horrified by the idea of like putting it out there. And feeling like, oh my god, people are going to know that I like like reading about love and sex. Which was, then I had this moment of being like, Sophia, you are a sex columnist. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think people know that you know about sex. Like, I think, yeah. yeah, exactly. I think people know that you have had sex before and have read about it and know about it. Like, I don't think they're going to like find out that you as a 28-year-old adult like reading about sex and be horrified either. Like, that's pretty normal. If you see a guy on a plane reading a Jack Reacher novel, he's not like, oh, God, I hope no one sees me reading a Jack Reacher novel. This isn't intellectual enough. Like, I mean, it's so, like, there's so much tied up in that, like, shame and especially the female gaze shame and the the idea of, like, women having pleasure is especially tied up in it. But I do think it is hard to take that step and be like, and I can't even imagine as a guy because I do think that I think it's somewhat more appropriate for it is seen as somewhat more appropriate for women I do not think that it's more appropriate for women I if I had one wish I would make every man especially straight cis men read a bunch of romance novels but I do think there's like a another layer to that of going out in public and reading a romance novel for men so good on you well that kind of leads into your what you do which is you give advice now, do you think that reading romance, like you said, men reading romance, but even women reading romance, is that instructive for people? Do you think they can extrapolate good lessons from romance? A hundred percent. I think especially, I, I think it's a lot of matching what your tastes are and matching what you're into, but also matching what you're kind of looking for. But if, for example, you're like a guy who sleeps with women I would imagine that you're not getting a ton of great quality or I think it's really easy to miss out on representations of what women like in bed unless you seek them out. Because I think so much stuff is even unintentionally really male gaze, really um, like, again, there's like porn, but there's also just like the, the movies are entirely filled with here's what like a hot woman is. And this is what's hot for men if you're imagining men as, like, cis straight men. Um, But if you can read a romance novel and kind of work backwards and say, okay, I'm actually looking for what the other perspective might be and what the, the other side of desire might be for the other person in the relationship, I feel like that's, like, a fabulous avenue. And 
I feel like for women, we're constantly doing that. Again, women who are sleeping with men, you're kind of constantly being exposed to like what's hot for men just through osmosis, but also just through everything. I mean, there's so much less porn, for example, that's like, here's what's hot for women. Um, and often like, like female centric porn just becomes two women together. Like it isn't even fully exploring what women might want. It's almost like what women might want if men were thinking of what women might want. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, it's, it's so easy to get that like dipped in maleness, um, for women. But I think, I think everyone can benefit from reading romance. I think it's really a good, it makes you way more empathetic. It makes you aware of things that like, I remember reading romance novels and finding just finding out things about sex that like, I didn't necessarily know because I hadn't experienced that situation. So like, it it teaches you as you go, as a lot of storytelling does. And also I feel like not every romance does this, but there's a lot of hot, dirty talk in romance, and I think a lot of guys fail at hot, dirty talk, and I think they could learn a lot from it. Like, honestly, just copy what you read. <laughs> I mean, like, don't say corset. Replace it with another word, yeah. but, like, just copy it, you yeah. know? I'll now tear your b- um, blouse? Yeah. yeah. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> your friend of the pod t-shirt? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Precisely. No, so you talk a lot about, uh, in your book, about sort of, like, growing up. (laughs) Like, you say fat in the book. But, like, growing up and and not feeling, like, you know, super attractive or feeling a little bit awkward. Um, And it seems like you definitely had, like, romance novels through that time. So how do you feel like having all of that, being exposed to romance novels early, how did that sort of inform you later when you did have, like, an adult sex life? I think, first of all, that's a phenomenal question. I am, like, kind of blown away by that. But I think that um, I really feel like romance novels were my first window into any male perspective that wasn't um, pure sex-driven. Even though, obviously, again, people think of these as, like, sex books from the outside. But as you said, like, they're very much interested in love and romance. So I feel like... Um, other than like a few rom-coms, I feel like I didn't read what men were thinking or I didn't have these depictions of like men falling in love, for example. And I definitely didn't have interactions that were happening in my life that in any way were flirtatious or loving or kind with men. Like I wasn't having that, especially with my peers. So for years, it was very difficult for me to even fathom that that could one day happen to me. And the places that I would retreat to and where the worlds in which those could happen especially they could happen to someone like me or again just like to the main character of the book I was reading were romance novels so the places where women were being shown like love and respect and horniness in like safe kind ways and these replications of again women's pleasure and fantasy and all those places that were so closed off to me because I I wasn't talking I wasn't I didn't even I don't think I was texting with men until I was in college like I don't think I texted the first guy in my life until well I guess like the right before college when I started dating the first guy I was dating but like I was 18 so everyone else in my friend group was like texting guys and hooking up with them and they had at least like teenage and juvenile versions of like love and romance and that kind of stuff and I had none of that so again it was so helpful when I got older to have seen all these characters have like healthy boundaries or erotic desires or um you know just good sex with a person I feel like it like raised my standards of what I thought I should get out of things and love and sex because I was like I think it can be good I've seen it be good even if it was like in books you know (laughs) Yeah, no, I agree totally. And I think that there's this fear around, you know, and when I say young kids, I mean like 11, 12, 13, but like kids picking up romance novels and they're going to be exposed to sex. And like, I think there are definitely some romance novels that are like too advanced for kids. Like we should not, they should not be reading those. (laughs) But I do think if you do come across like a Bela or a Clay Pass or Julia Quinn or Sarah McLean, like 
those are books that I think are really modeling a positive, loving relationship in a way that romance novels always do, in a way that, like, not every person necessarily sees. Or even if you are around loving relationships, it's rare that you're, like, um, have sort of an intimacy with them in the way that you can with a book. Just because a relationship is typically, like, two people. Um, yes. And unless you're one of the two people, there's a lot that is a bit of a mystery about that relationship. So, And I think even as an adult, I think all of us have a huge curiosity about other people's sex and intimacy and relationships. And, and like, I think we don't have great language as a society around that, especially men don't seem to have great... Um, again, I'm generalizing, but, like, straight says men don't seem to have as good of, like, outlets for it. Um, to have, like, good, healthy, intimate relationship conversations that ask questions and are like, hey, does this happen to you? Or are you worried about this? And, like, that's to our own detriment that we don't have good avenues for that. And some of it's changing. And I think especially, like, the podcast world has actually been fabulous for kind of opening that up and getting new people involved and having cool and interesting conversations. But sometimes it doesn't have to be a literally real conversation. Sometimes it can be with like fictional characters who are asking questions or solving problems in ways that you're like, Oh, that's a creative way to tackle that. Or, Oh, I've never knew I was interested in that. Or, you know, like, Oh, that turns me on, but I'm kind of surprised by that. You know, those kinds of things are really helpful. Like that's, that has a lot of value. Um, so yeah, before, before we go, I definitely want to take time to talk about, well, this is exhausting, which is a great title, especially for anything <laughs> coming up in 2021. Oh, yeah, um, I know. <laughs> do you, uh, could you tell us a little bit about, uh, about like the book and the impetus for the book and, and how it was writing it? Because obviously you're like a, a prolific writer, um, but a book is a different beast, you know? Yeah. So I, um, I, when I was about, I want to say about 22, I got this idea that I really wanted to write a book because I loved reading these kind of like comedic memoirs from women. Like, um, I was told there would be cake and furiously happy. And, um, even like the Chelsea Handler, like my horizontal life, like all these, like, especially raunchy, funny memoirs from women I was reading or had read at the time. And I was like, I want to do that. That seems great. I was again, 22 and very delusional. Um, so I, I mean, this, not like, very delusional though, because you've done it. Well, <laughs> when I, well, when I started and this is a little bit of, this is in the book. When I started, I was like, okay, we're all my crazy stories of this, like insane life. I had, you know, running around the city and interning for these cool people and all this stuff that I like wanted to put in the book, but I have not done any of that. Like I, this, again, is in the book, but one time I cried when offered cocaine a week in advance. So I was like, we're going to do cocaine in a week. And I was, like, crying. So I, again, super from Missouri. And uh, I just, I was a good kid. And I was a good adult. And I, like, made a lot of smart, logical choices and, like, did the right thing and, and tried really, really hard all the time. And so I feel like I kept trying for years and years to like write this book about being fun and funny and crazy and I couldn't write it so I eventually I don't know where this like lightning bolt moment happened where I was like maybe you should actually write what happened in your life and not this like exaggerated version of events that like maybe makes you seem cooler maybe or maybe some you know like or pretending to be a mess kind of um because again, for the most part, I haven't been a mess. I've been like anxious and uptight and uh, like unfun, but I haven't been a mess. So I, I just felt like as I was thinking more about that perspective of like, what does it mean to be trying really hard and to behave and to be good? And how do we all get told how to behave and how to be good and how to perform for other people? And I kind of charted my life as like, it kind of started as me really wanting to be a good kid and like behave for my parents and do a great job because I loved my parents and I wanted to be good for them and not stress them out. And then I became like a good girl, like a chill girl for men in college. And I learned exactly how to be a chill girl and like crack open a beer and, you know, love football and all the shit that like comes with that. And I eventually had to like unlearn 
all of that stuff and like turn it into, okay, how do you behave for yourself and how do you be good for yourself? And what are the ways that you actually want to behave? And how do you like create a life that isn't based on pleasing other people? So um, that was kind of the, the ultimate arc that I wanted to tell the, to people in hopes that maybe somebody else would say, oh yeah, okay, I, I see that. That's similar to what I felt like. Or, oh yeah, that's a way that my life was like this. Um, you know, it's definitely not prescriptive. <laughs> Let me be very clear. I don't have <laughs> any notion of like telling somebody that this was a good way to live life. But um, yeah, that's kind of where the, the story came from. Well, not story, the the arc of the book came from. Yeah, I loved it. I I finished it like in two days. It was so. Oh great. my god! So thank fun. you. Yeah, of course. And what I really loved about it, you know, you talk about the universal universality universality of the uh, <laughs> of your story, and I really found that to be interesting because you write about how when you were young, you and your sister were sort of put in charge of your younger siblings, and then you go to school, and you're kind of. Um, and forgive me if this is like a poor reading of what happened, but it oh, seemed no. to be a little bit of a like um, a rejection of femininity of um, become trying to become one of the guys sort of to be accepted there and then sort of also then moving away from that. And then especially I think, you know, with embracing like such a feminine pursuit as uh, <laughs> romance novels, it's interesting because it does seem to really chart a very common uh beats of what a lot of women go through where they're like hyper feminized and then they rebel and then you kind of have to find some place in the middle so is that sort of how you feel and is that kind of like i'd love to hear oh, this is such a big question but what's your relationship to womanhood now <laughs> that no that's a huge question no, that's, no 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 it's a it's a fabulous question because i think i mean i, I do think this is kind of, that's a fabulous way of looking at it because I do think that as a kid I was so hyper feminine and I was so like again like I just think even though this wasn't what I really was like I just think of like a little girl in like a nice dress to go to church kind of thing like even though I wasn't going to church let me be clear I was like also playing ice hockey and whatever but but I think of that like I think of bows in little girl's hair all the time like this was kind of the, this was the original introduction to the book was about how bizarre I find it to put bows in little girl's hair and especially at a young age when it's not helping them to like get their hair out of their head and like go play or whatever it's like or get their hair out of their face and go play it's like to specify this is a girl and leave this on and don't touch it and don't mess with your bows and don't you know there's like so yeah. much around these like performances of femininity for young girls and I think I performed that way what a lot as a kid. I was very responsible for my little siblings, like you said. And I cleaned and I cooked and I did laundry for my siblings and all this stuff that was like, again, so hyper-feminine. And then I, like you said, rebelled completely and was like, chill girl. And I'm like one of the guys and I, you know, I'm cool all the time and nothing bothers me. And the recalibration to where I, I am now, I feel like I like a lot of things that have to do with both and it took me a really long time to not outright reject things because they were either too masculine or too feminine coded which like again those things are completely made up like there's it's all you know social constructs so I it, it's kind of nice though when you let go of that because then you discover things like I in the last few years have recently discovered that I love sports like I love watching basketball <laughs> so much I genuinely like it which is something that, like, I don't know that I always would have let myself do. I think there were times in my life where I would have been like, this is me trying too hard to be one of the guys. Like, after college, I think I would have, there would have been points in my life where I've been like, oh, are you trying too hard? Are you, you know, performing for men? And I think as you get, or at least as I got have gotten older, I've kind of shed some of that and been like, there's not anything that is truly feminine or masculine to do so just find your shit and you know enjoy it so yeah I think my relationship with womanhood is really untethered from um out external things it's much more like I'm just happen to be a woman so my version of womanhood is like Sophia you know yeah I love that yeah and I think that's the thing too that as you grow older I think 
there's this myth for women of growing older that it's something to be feared and I feel like everyone I've spoken to is like no the older you and in my experience as well has been like older you get the more you just like settle into who you are and what you like and you care so little for <laughs> what other people think about the thing that you like because at this age if somebody who's like romance novels are stupid I'd be like okay I don't sure okay <laughs> sure that's what you think I'm not gonna fight you on it I truly do not care of your opinion or, yeah, where there's a lot of things, I think, um, especially for women, there's so few things that women are allowed to like openly, whether it's something masculine like sports or it's something like hyper-feminine like fashion. Either way, totally. I think a lot of it's derided. So um, I love that, that you're sort of at the stage where you're like, and this is who I am and this is what I like and so this is it. And there's no sort of, of the performance. Yeah, and I love, I mean, I love a lot of things that have been traditionally coded as female and I love a lot of the things like like again like romance novels I love fashion I love shopping I have a problem with that like (laughs) I love those things like I I'm genuinely enjoy that and I actually like one of the things I really love about like being a woman is that it's so connective so often like I know that's kind of a corny common answer but like there is so much encouragement of like being empathetic and building empathy and caring for others which often goes overboard and often too much is asked of us but I mean I also think it's phenomenal like I love the idea that we're very like that we're I think more people should be taught and like not trained but like inculcated with this idea that like caring for people is good and part of your task of being a human you know so I love a lot of things that are like very femininely coded but it took me a long time to get back to that and be like these are good things these are things I like and enjoy that like, who cares if they make you cool or not, you know? Which is, like, very important when you're 20 years old, I guess. So, oh, what can yeah. you say? That's always my thing. Because I have, like, a ton of pen pals, and some of them are older, and some of them are younger. And the younger ones, I'm like, just don't care about anything and have <laughs> safe sex with whoever you want to have safe sex with. Just, those are that's my great. pieces of advice. No, that's amazing. That's more people. <laughs> you should just start writing to every address in America. Like, a postcard should come. <laughs> everyone just like who you want and fuck who you want to fuck exactly (laughs) yeah yes exactly love Aaron thank you (laughs) um awesome so yeah thanks so much for taking the time to chat this has been so amazing um and lovely um but how uh can people find you you can find me and well most of the time I'm on Twitter so you can find me on Twitter at at one follower no dad it's the number one and then follower no dad I also have a website that is onefollowernodad.com. But you find um, about why it is one follower no dad in well this is exhausting. So you if you're do. wondering, that's strange. Pick up the book yes. and you're gonna find out why. I do have a dad, I promise. <laughs> and it is in the book. Um so yes, you can find me at, at one follower no dad. I also have a substack called Here's the Thing where I give advice. And um again, you can buy Well This Is Exhausting, which is coming out July thirteenth. Lucky 13. I love it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for having me. This was so much fun. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for coming.